Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. Black girls rock! Gotta say it with the exclamation point, Greg. Is celebrating its 15th year. And our special correspondent, our friend Althea Legaspi, you talked to founder Beverly Bond about the movement and the nonprofit organization that has grown into a thriving space and resource for young black girls. Let's start with how she launched it. So she she launched it in 2006. In 2005, she started thinking about the idea. And it started with a t-shirt, actually, just having black girls rock as an affirmation, right? Mm. And then... She realized she started writing down all of the amazing black women in history who've rocked beyond just like musically, right? Just rocked, period. And after writing pages and pages of women down, she said she had an epiphany. And I remember pushing the paper away from me. And I said, oh, my God, I said, this is bigger than me. This is actually an affirmation that. All of our women, our kids, our grandmothers need to hear because it's not something that we hear or have heard. We have never been put in a position where black women have been celebrated for all that we are and all that we do. We are often called out of our names. We are marginalized. We are objectified, you know, especially in in our culture in terms of like music. And, you know, I'm I'm a DJ. So like I was paying attention to all this stuff as a model. I remember just being removed. Remember, not we didn't matter. You know, I I remember the casting agent saying things like we have our black model. (laughs) You know, they could they were actually say that. Right. I knew in that moment that this was bigger than just my own personal gain um, with the t-shirt, although I still do the t-shirt. I knew that it, it mattered. I knew that we needed to celebrate these women because I also thought about how many of these women on this paper do the next generation know about? You know, of course they're aware of Mariah and Beyonce and Janet Jackson, but are they aware of Lantine Price? Are they aware of Marion Wright Edelman? Are they aware of Sojourner Truth? Are they aware of Fannie Lou Hamer? Are they aware of all of these incredible women who have contributed so much and have changed the game, right? Have been game changers in, in incredible ways where they've set the standard. You know, how do we not talk about these women more? How come these women aren't celebrated? How come we don't see them in stories of history, throwbacks or anything? We don't see them. And so I thought about what to do to celebrate that. And I was like, this is an award show. So this has been airing on BET for a number of years. How was Beverly able to turn the show into a televised event? It started with VH1. They were planning their 2006 hip hop honors. And MC Light was the honoree, and she also performed. So Beverly, as she had just mentioned, was a celebrity DJ. She was a model. People were interviewing her about that, and the VH1 had found her. And so she was asked to come on board, and she kept talking about Black Girls Rock, right? And the more people that heard about it, the more people supported it, and it turned out that they merged the hip-hop honors with Black Girls Rock Awards. So that that was the very first one that year. And it's grown, obviously, huge. Next year, it moved to Lincoln Center. More celebrities got involved. And then BET was like, we want you on. So Uh in 2010, it became an annual event. Around 2008, so this was a couple years before the award show first aired on TV, she also started a mentorship program, which was part of her original idea anyway. She explains it more here. 
So my goal in the beginning was to support the next generation in in terms of like creating Black Girls Lead and the Black Girls Rock uh, mentoring programs. I didn't know how to be a mentor. I knew how to DJ. And I knew that that empowered me. And it empowered me because it kept me in a constant state of creativity. And I thought, if I could share this with young girls... I don't care if they become DJs, but what this does is it keeps you in, the, it keeps the work ethic going. It keeps your mind, eye, ear coordination going. So this is the process of being a DJ, right? Especially before we have all the new computerized things. You'd have to, one, you'd have to be a, almost a historian or an archivist because you have to collect your, you know, I started DJing in 2000, so we were not on Serato yet. We were not on the computers yet. So you had to actually have a record collection even to be in the game, which is why it was even more of an anomaly for a lot of women to be in it because there weren't a ton of women record collectors like that, right? I was. I just happened to get that habit from my mother. But I love music. I was also a dancer. I was also the person DJ played for. So music was always in me. It was always a part of who I am. With that, I knew that if I gave the girls DJ classes because I was like, how do I, you know, what do I do? How do you start? And, yet, and I think you start where you are, right? And so I, I talked to the Scratch DJ Academy in New York and one of the things that they told me from the beginning is they said that one of the reasons that they thought that this program would be a great partnership is because what I was doing was what Jam Master J, who was the founder of the Scratch DJ Academy, it's why one of the reasons he started it. He started it to give opportunity to inner city kids who didn't have always have access to equipment. And while they might have the skills, if they don't have anywhere to practice it, they won't be able to do it. So we partnered with the Scratch Academy. Man, that sounds like a great program. And yeah, you know, DJing is not as easy as uh, people think, you know, <laughs> put the needle down. No. Um, you know, uh, how do girls apply, Althea? So uh, girls age 13 to 17 can apply to the program and they accept girls from all walks of life and from around the world, actually. Mm. Uh, but it started originally as a program on Saturdays in Brooklyn. And, and with local girls, but because of the TV exposure that happened in 2010, people were just flooding them saying, hey, we would like to be involved. We want to support this. We would like, you know, our kids to be involved. So it just kept growing. And so by 2011, they launched Black Girls Lead, which is now in its 10th year. And it just they actually just had their conference a couple weeks ago. And music is a core part of becoming involved. Beverly walked me through the application process. Well, the application process is about really making sure that one committed to being a part of this program. And we want to get to know who they are. So we ask them questions like, you know, if you were to have a mastermind alliance, who would be on it and why? Or if you were to sit down with a black woman in history, who would it be? Or if you would, um, what, what challenges are you seeing that black women are facing right now in your generation? One of our stable questions is always like if you had to make an empowerment mixtape, what five songs would you have on them and why? So we get to know what they're reading. We get to know what they're listening to. We get to know how they're thinking, what problems they want to solve in the world. So what are the, some of the takeaways that the attendees are getting in the music area? So the DJ program, which started at the, from the beginning, that's still a part of it, which I think is really great because I can tell you I've wiped out as a DJ when I've tried to do it. <laughs> People don't. It is not easy. No, it's like it, it, the, she was so right about the coordination, especially because I started with vinyl. So like 
just if you aren't paying attention for a second, it's so easy to wipe out. But at any rate, that's part of it. She was telling me that this year, some of the musical highlights that the girls found inspiration from was Tasha Cobb Leonard. And then she talked a little bit about a panel that really inspired the girls here. They couldn't believe that Tasha Cobb Leonard showed up. We didn't, I don't think we announced it. So they were extremely moved by her and a lot of the girls went to gospel so they knew who she was and they were super excited about her and they were you know naming all the favorite songs they were inspired by her story and her willingness to be there but i think when we had a panel with mamuna youssef mumu fresh l barner valerie june and alice smith these artists who are all impeccable artists who give all to their art who have integrity and really just are free in terms of how they produce their work, how they write their work. And I think their conversation around their integrity, around their process, around the challenges that they face as women who are not trying to fit into the mold of a pop star, but have all the chops and all the content and all of the talent to be celebrated as much as anyone else, I think that that really resonated with all of the girls. Althea, we just heard about a couple of the artists who've uh, partaken in the program. What other artists have supported Black Girls Rock? So they've had a number of lauded artists. When I was asking her if she could pick one, she's like, oh, God, you know. (laughs) But one of the things she mentioned was they got Lauryn Hill to appear in the 2016 award show. She didn't do it for the network. She wanted to participate because it was involved with Black Girls Rock. Um, and I think you guys know over the years, she she was a, a little bit more of an enigma and not performing quite as much back in the day. Getting Lauren Hill to come out is is an accomplishment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then Missy Elliott participated in Black Girls Lead in, in 2020. W- Michelle Obama was involved also in 2020. Wow. Hmm. It sounded like an amazing panel. Uh, but one of the things Beverly emphasized to me was that it's about bringing attention also to new talent introducing talent like Lettucey and Alice Smith when they were not being showcased on on spaces like that. I think that was a major, you know, accomplishment for us and Lettucey to the States as, you know, Black Girls Rock Mm. really changed her her stars. Alice Smith, it was the first time she had charted when she appeared on Black Girls Rock. You know, obviously, Beverly is an inspiring woman, Althea. Uh, I keep also thinking about Donnie Walton when we had her on the show uh, a while back in her book, Opal and Nev. Uh, You know, uh, uh, black girls not being afraid to make an awesome noise in the great rock tradition. With everything they've accomplished, what have been some of their big success stories and where does it go next? What are the challenges? So she obviously said there were many success stories, but probably one of the biggest ones that all of us are, and and recently that all of us are familiar with is Amanda Gorman, the amazing poet (laughs) who read Ed Ed Biden's inauguration. That was a huge one. She also says that many of the BGR attendees have gone on to get their PhDs or are in the middle of getting their PhDs. But of course, right now there are challenges ahead and she talks about them here. There's always growing pains. We are growing. The Backwells Rock Awards is no longer part of BT. We just launched our own OTT network. There is a process of that. There's a process of people understanding that you are your own, own, you know, black ownership in media is a very hard pill for people to swallow because they've never seen it. And so because of that, 
They haven't seen a lot, I should say. And because of that, I mean, I think everybody that has gone that route, including Oprah, has had some very hard growing pains in the beginning. And so that is where we are, but that's okay. I have all faith that everything will work out. It's like anything that you start, right? You're going to have to put in the work, but also deal with the naysayers, deal with the, you know, challenges, um, in the middle of a pandemic, by the way, <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a lot, but it's also, you know, exciting and exhilarating and important. It's important for black women to own our narrative and tell our own stories and have our own platforms to be able to empower more women to do the same thing. You got to drop Beverly a line, uh, Althea. I've done a couple of interviews with the really impressive new startup, BNC, the Black News Channel, an African-American-owned and concentrated CNN. You know, let's hook her up. Yeah. She deserves support. What else can we do to support Beverly? People should go to their socials to check out what's happening with them. They have an app coming up soon. And then there should be some Black Girls Rock Awards news coming in the fall. Mm. Yeah, she's working on that and doesn't think it's going to be in person. But she is hopeful they'll be able to do an in-person festival at Kennedy Center during the International Women's Day weekend in March. So she said it's, you know, it's it's hard to talk about it because everything's so uncertain right now. But that's what she's hopeful is going to be like the next thing up. Fantastic stuff. Althea Legospi with a fascinating chat with Beverly Bond of Black Girls Rock. Needs the exclamation point. Uh, we're going to take a short break on Sound Opinions. When we come back, we will follow up the reporting we did several weeks ago about COVID and Lollapalooza. You know, there has been a lot of big news in the live music world of late. Protocols for safety as the Delta variant comes on are shifting seemingly by the day. The Lollapalooza COVID numbers, we discussed that with you, Althea, a while back. The chief health officer in Chicago announced uh, about two weeks after the first day of the festival that there were 203 COVID-19 cases connected to Lollapalooza, but no other deaths or hospitalizations that they could connect to the festival. Some people have been skeptical because there was not a lot of good contact tracing in Chicago. Nevertheless, it did not prompt a super spreader event. But what do we make of the numbers with COVID and live music? I mean, for me, obviously, this is good news, right? But just like you, you were out there all yeah. four days, a lot of Palooza. <laughs> Um, We're glad you're alive, Althea. I I am too. And I wore a mask, honestly, even though that wasn't required. I'm obviously vaccinated. And the Delta news, there are breakthroughs, let's Mm -hmm. face facts. And, you know, the thing is, is as you mentioned, it's kind of hard to tell if this was the whole picture. Because how many of the 385,000 people actually bothered to test? Like, what's the right. pool of right. this 200? So although... Right. Well, and the city of Chicago just took the promoter's word for it. They didn't do any testing. They said, oh, Lollapalooza told us, you know. And I was like, hmm, okay. But, you know, shortly thereafter, Live Nation and AEG, the two largest corporate concert promoters in America, decided they would make much more stringent vaccine checks. 
Exactly. And I think that that, that I think that's the most positive thing that came from this, even though uh, I and 385,000 other people were a human guinea pigs in this untested experiment. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <Althea. laughs> it, it was it, it's I mean, obviously, I'm elated if that, those are the numbers. I'm skeptical that it's the full picture. But I think that those are those are great numbers. It, it shows that a lot of other people are following suit. AEG, Live Nation, who owns Lollapalooza, also does Governor's Ball, mm-hmm. Austin City Limits. So this is affecting a lot of other festivals that are are on the way. And I think that, you know, gosh, if we had all done the vaccination checks, period, and just made it vaccination, I, 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 as I said the last time we talked, I think that would have been like the complete safest way to go. But people are making changes now. So in addition to AEG and Live Nation, just different parts of the country are starting to put in new protocols that are going to affect all the concerts coming up too here we've got the mask mandate right in chicago here in chicago yeah my band played its first gig a week ago on a wednesday night it was celebratory and joyful it was a bartender at the liars club's birthday party Hmm. uh we kept our masks on we were all sane and safe and people go to liars club were old punks they got vaccinated yep but wow what a feeling yeah, I mean it's it's different, right? Well, so but then I, it's wild too because now even outdoor places are also requiring full vaccination in some cases, depending on where you are in the country, which I personally prefer. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles County, who had already had masks indoors, they're requiring mask mandates at large outdoor events, regardless of vac status. San Francisco requires full vaccination proof for any indoor public space, any, Mm. doesn't matter Mm. the size, right? And New York mandated a vaccine. It's only at least one dose, but still to go indoors, you have to have, you have to show a vaccine card. So it's still, we're still kind of where we were before in terms of like, everybody has different rules. However, these rules are getting more stringent in a good way, I think, given what's going on with Delta. Yeah, and I think artists are responding too in constructive ways, trying to adjust that. Uh, yes. You know the Delta variant is here. We can't just pretend like it's all going to be better. You, even slight adjustment, like Phoebe Bridgers, I noticed uh, she just changed the all her indoor dates to outdoor dates. You yes. know, a small adjustment like that can make a difference, right? So it's interesting, Althea, that these artists seem to be tweaking their schedules, either pushing the dates further back or somehow adjusting their schedules to make sure that they're playing only events that are allowing only double vaccinated people and having masking and social distancing rules in place. So artists seem to be being proactive about this instead of saying, oh, we'll just leave it in the hands of the promoters to do it. Right. I agree. And I think, I mean, of course, we're we're all fans of music, right? Is it a surprise that the musicians and the artists are the ones who are actually leading the way with this? Well, Um, it's smart. They have courage. protecting their fans, you know? They care about their fans, unlike the corporations. Yeah. I mean, Neil Young pulled out a farm aid. You guys, like I, I don't know. If That's you saw pretty that. shocking. Like, um, and he he made the whole statement until everybody is, until it's a hundred percent safe for everyone. I don't feel comfortable doing this. And then Jason Isbell made a pretty big statement as well. He is, he said, if it's if it's not a vax place, then I'm not performing. Uh, and he yeah. pulled he's pulled out of a couple places. I think at least yeah. one or two. And he's been a big presence on Twitter. Making his feel, you know, and and Neil Young and Jason Isbell, especially Farm Aid Neil Young, you know, speak to audiences in areas of the country that have been reluctant 
yes. to get vaccinated. And I think it's super courageous for artists like that to possibly alienate significant portions of their audience, but to say, you know, emphatically, no vax, no music. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, Nine Inch Nails too, Stevie Nicks, BTS. I mean, the list is growing. Now, now, Althea, we've also seen a couple of artists that were so eager that were out there playing these big stages and now have had to cancel entire tours because they were perhaps premature and not thorough enough. So, yeah, I mean, they're both... Fallout Boy and the Foo Fighters, and I'm sure there are some other artists had to cancel. Well, Limp Biscuit, right? And Limp and Limp Biscuit. Well, Limp Biscuit, I don't know if they said that 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 anyone tested for COVID positive in their camp, but both Fallout Boy and Foo Fighters said that someone in their camp came down mm. with COVID, and so they had to reschedule dates. They didn't fully cancel, but Limp Biscuit fully canceled. However. They didn't say why, other than like abundance of caution kind of a thing. So maybe someone, <laughs> maybe someone did, and that was right after Lollapalooza. They pulled yeah. out of. I'm their... sorry, I'm sorry. Caution and limp biscuit are not words. <laughs> yeah, that caution. Go right. Break stuff, man. Yeah. But, uh, wear a mask. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> while you're doing it. Uh, you know, to me, Althea, the big one, and I thought there would be some sort of a domino effect on this. In New Orleans Jazz Fest, canceling was a big one. Yeah. Like. But I think part of that has to do with Louisiana just is such a free fall with allowing, you know, non-vaccinated people to travel as they will and no masking. And they're realizing, hey, this has got all the ingredients for a really bad outcome if we don't do something. So I give them credit I agree. for being proactive in a very difficult situation. Especially given how big that on. festival is to their economy. Yeah, it's gigantic. Yeah. I mean, you know, tourism is... You know, ninety percent of the business in that yeah. in that area, right? So it was a stunning move, but it was the correct one, I think. I agree. Uh, and I'm wondering how some of these late fall festivals will also respond. You know, we've got two in our backyard here in Chicago with Pitchfork and, and Riot Fest coming up. I'm wondering how they may well, make I, any adjustments, if if at all. I you mean, know? speaking of that, so Nine Inch Nails was supposed to be a headliner for Riot Fest. As you know, right. Nine Inch Nails pulled out, and then Slipknot came in, and then Corey Taylor ends up getting COVID. It's like they're, they're the replacement band. But one of the things that, like you were saying with the fall, I mean, who knows if other things will get canceled, but even more so, I think artists... I think the lineups are going to change quite a bit. Someone ends up getting sick or someone starts to feel a little yeah. bit like this doesn't feel safe anymore, depending on how Delta's going. I think that that's what we're going to have to watch for is I think that there's going to be very shifting lineups and maybe stronger protocols. <laughs> yeah. Now, well, who knows, Althea asked. I'll tell you who knows, Althea Legaspi. <laughs> you know, in your perch, doing news coverage for Rolling Stone and contributing out of the graciousness of your heart to sound opinions, uh, we're able to stay on top of these stories, and it's it's an absolute treat to have you as a contributor. And... We don't want to just get news out of you. We want to have you talk about music. So you're going to tell us about an up-and-coming producer on Sound Opinions. And we are back. You're on the cutting edge of, of mm. the, the social medias, as the kids say. These artists, before they make it, you know, to any... I mean, I, they never, all go to Althea first to you know, get well, her no, blessing. Althea, the, yeah. Althea watches yeah. TikTok so yeah. you and me don't have to. <laughs> Right. Well, and exactly. also Twitter too. Right. You see all these. You see all these things too. Come on, you guys are with. I it. gave up after SoundCloud. <laughs> no, I go as far as SoundCloud and Bandcamp, but I will not TikTok. 
Well, I will not tell you. You ever been on TikTok? I have, but I mean, it's just it's just a blur of you know one brief video after another of kids doing <laughs> I, I, crazy yeah. stuff. You know, I mean, okay, I get it after about a minute. So there's a hundred hundred TikTok videos, but then one, you know, as in any forum anywhere, one is going to be brilliant. So Jameer Reese Davis, who performs as Amorphous, he's the producer that I I am digging. Now, he also put this on Twitter, so I'm not going to just say that it was, I'm not going to just say this was a TikTok thing, but he, oh, that, that's fair. Yeah. He went viral last fall with a mashup of Rihanna's Kiss It Better with Luther Vandross's Never Too Much, which is pretty mm. awesome. And it went crazy viral. And since then, all these big names started saying, oh, come collaborate with me. And Fat Joe and DJ Khaled, he did something with. Oprah gave him a computer when his computer broke down. Like, he, he got a lot of people following him. <laughs> a computer for you and a computer for you. <laughs> but the reason I'm bringing this up is since we've been talking about Black Girls Who Rock, one of the new singles that he worked on is C.C. Peniston's Finally. He, he did a remake of that, and that song turns 30 this fall. So C.C. Peniston, and it features Kelly Rowland singing mm. new lyrics by MNEK, and it's called Finally Cannot Hide It. Updated beats. It transforms the 1991 hit into an empowering jam. I just think it rules. I, I mm. love the idea of a cutting-edge producer uh, digging back to Luther Vandross and C.C. Peniston. Yeah, that's cool. His music, he, he grew up, and he's 23 years old, you guys, so he's like... <laughs> he's like yeah. he's looking at the stuff he was listening to when he was little and yeah, giving yeah, yeah. it or enough that his mom his mom and dad were playing perhaps while he was uh, not even little yeah, yet yeah and giving it like a whole new sheen and then introducing it to the young, the younger generation and like with a new vibe and I think it's really great finally it has happened to me right in front of my face my feelings can't describe it Very cool. Uh, so, Althea, we appreciate your continual ear-to-the-ground approach to all matters music, especially TikTok. Thank you for listening. <laughs> News you for and, and music. Thank you for sharing. And, yeah. We couldn't do it without you. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on Sound Opinions, you too. That's it for this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. If you've got thoughts on this episode, start a conversation in our Facebook group or leave us a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. We are airing more of them all the time. To support the show, join our Patreon community or buy some merch at soundopinions.org. I'd really like to get it out of the closet, Mr. Cott. I don't know how you stuck me with all the merch. As always, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, and our intern, Sol Delgadillo, while we get some significant media help, social media help from Katie Cott. Thanks for listening.